Hello and welcome to the Riff Raff podcast, hosted by Amy Baker. The Riff Raff is a writer's community that champions the work of debut authors and provides guidance, support and services for those dreaming of one day being published themselves. On the podcast today, I'm chatting with Nicole Flattery, author of short story collection Show Them a Good Time, which Sally Rooney describes as a masterclass in the short story, bold, irreverent and agonisingly funny. Nicole has been published in The Stinging Fly, The White Review, The Dublin Review, The Irish Times, and in the forthcoming 2019 Fame Anthology of New Irish Writing. Plus, her short story track won the 2017 White Review Short Story Prize. We discuss how themes reveal themselves in the writing, getting to know your characters through redrafting, and giving yourself space to be funny. Before the garage, my hometown was famous and amongst people of car sickness. It was here they stood retching and spewing before moving on somewhere better. When I came back from the city, I thought we both might have changed in bright and glamorous ways, but we hadn't. We were both long acquainted with disappointment and the joys of being used. I'd been home two months and the house felt strangely empty to me, as if all our furniture had been sold. Somehow, a hundred tiny, unspeakable events had happened in my absence. I was reunited with my mother, two flirts, two women who might find themselves in abusive relationships and not even notice. Two true suckers, back together. Every dinner time she questioned why I ate the way I did, why I stuck my fingers in so many jars and rooted around. Did I eat vegetables at all? Did they serve peas in many restaurants in that city? I said I didn't know. It wasn't something I thought much about. And she pointed her fork at me, that absurd vegetable speared on it, as if we shared a private joke. Were there boys there? Did you have a boyfriend? I did. Was he nice? Not really. He was irritating, you know. He said things like, I will have a small espresso. Stuff about coffee that people already just know. He wasn't funny at all. He kind of hit me sometimes in my sleep. Though I suppose I was just pretending to be asleep, so it wasn't totally honest with me either. It's important for a man to have a sense of humour. Her confiding motherly smile. Her optimism was of the terrifying and penetrable variety. It could burn through entire periods of history. My parents had a fierce bond I admired. They had refined the habits of the long married, saying nothing and then saying everything twice. They disregarded me, but in a practical way, the way you might ignore the weakling in a bomb shelter. Their days had their own sedate private rhythm, punctuated by the sharp slam of the dishwasher. There was a strange daily pattern. Amble down the street, go to the supermarket, wave at a slight acquaintance, clap out of the same patch of sky, come back home. They had seen boredom, stared it straight down and survived. And still they were less strained, less aged than I was. My father, who had always worn black, suddenly had the energy and enthusiasm for colours and sported a pink shirt under a red golf jumper. My mother encouraged me to support his developing style. They had new friends, couples they had allegedly met in the supermarket. When these new people called on the telephone, I answered and said, Who is this? And they said, No, who is this? Like they might have stumbled across a burglary scene, a dramatic horror show that would strengthen their ties to my parents. I lay on my lumpy bed and drank up inventive ways of leaving my own body. I looked down at it, slack, star-shaped, and closed my eyes, reopened them. Still there. Didn't seem to be going away. I was restless. I made many visits to the rain barrel in the yard. I felt the rain barrel was a measure of time. All the rain collected in my two-year absence. My mother sensed the world might run out of water, and this cracked aluminum, aluminium barrel was our security, our secret plan. I wanted to say... It's the 21st century, but it sounded self-important and foreign in our hostile little house. I had no interest in redemption. I didn't believe in it. It was for crackpot squares, but something about that ring barrel made me want to be reborn. I could see myself sailing through the murk, the dirty leaves framing my face, the blueness of 
barrel bringing out my inner Virgin Mary. It was necessary for me to get out of the house. Morning, Nicole. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on the Riff Raff podcast. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on the publication and huge success of your critically acclaimed debut short story novel, Show Them a Good Time. Um, for those who haven't picked up a copy or heard about it yet, um, where have they been? But please can you tell us a little about what it's about? Thank you. Uh, it's um, eight short, short stories all from the perspectives of women. Um, and yeah, it kind of takes place over like different cities. So there's one story set in New York, one story set in Paris, one story set in the kind of midlands of Ireland. And yeah, that's what it's about. Okay, cool. And um, so I'd love to hear more about how the collection came about. Did yeah. you, um, I mean, did you set out to write a collection when you first sat down to write one of your, like, how did it, or how did it all start, basically? Yeah. Um, I guess I, my first story, so I was writing short stories throughout my 20s, and my first story was published in an issue of The Singing Fly, which is a Dublin-based magazine in maybe four years ago and that story is actually in the collection that's called hump and um it was my first ever publication and then i kind of started you know very encouraging i think that's great about literary magazines you know you get something in there and it um, gives you enough hope and to keep going and then i kept writing stories and then i, I hadn't been published in a couple of different places um the dumb review and places like that and then i won the white review prize and Declan Mead and I decided to work towards a collection. So I did have finishing a collection in mind um, when I when I was writing it. Okay, cool. So and and you knew um, and the and the winning the the, the white review short story competition mm-hmm. that was for the um, story track, which is also in the book, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. And yes. um, please, um, i forgive my ignorance, Declan Mead. <laughs> He is the editor of The Singing Fly, so they publish books and magazines, and they've been going out for, I think it's uh, 20 years, and yeah, they've produced some brilliant writers, so Kevin Barry first appeared with uh, Their Little Kingdoms with The Singing Fly, and then Colin Barris, Diane McLaughlin, Claire Louise Dennis, lots of good writers, so it was great, you know, to have this kind of offer, and very encouraging, I just had to finish the stories, which was a challenge in itself. And how, so how long did the collection take to write? I mean, obviously it was going on over a lot of years, but how long in total? Um, I feel like it was a period from when my first story was published to when I finished my last story, um, which is the longest story in the book, um, maybe four years. But I was doing other things alongside it, like, you know, a lot of other work and a lot of other things to kind of keep me going. So it wasn't a concentrated time period, but I, I can... I felt that with stories I could kind of dip in a, a little bit, whereas with novels I'm not really sure you can do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so <laughs> I, hear, I hear that part of your um, your publishing deal with Bloomsbury, as well as this collection, you've also mm-hmm. um, you're also writing a debut novel. Yes, I yeah, do. and, and which I believe is called Nothing Special. Yes. Okay. Called. Cool. Uh, provisionally. <laughs> Pardon. I'm really setting myself up with titles, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> I like them both. I'm making well. it too easy. <laughs> um, how have you found the process of? Are you still writing the novel, or is the novel complete? No, I'm. I'm still writing. I just don't how, how are you? It. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's different that well, this because it's set in a different time period. I'm doing quite a bit of research, and uh, yeah, it's a completely different. Um, 
experience and writing a short story. I was talking to, I was in conversation with Ali Williams last night about, and she wrote a book, a book called A Trip. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it, but she's also having the same experience with me that she's writing a, a novel. She's going from writing short stories to writing a novel. And it's just a completely different thing. Like I would spend ages looking at sentences and, you know, revising sentences and paragraphs for a short story, whereas I'm not fully sure that's totally useful if you want to get a draft of a novel done. So I'm kind of having to train myself out of that. Yeah, of course. Uh, how, what yeah. what, do, what um, expertise do you think you've taken from writing the short story collection that you can apply to the novel writing? Mm, I guess um, I kind of, uh, like on a sentence level, I think that like a, like a short story, you know, is really like short story writing really improves your sentences. Just looking at a sentence and how much you can do within like a short space of time. And that is useful, useful for a novel. And also just, I think, well, I certainly like reading work where little something is withheld from the reader, where it's a little bit mysterious. And I, um, I think the story teaches you that. You can't give everything away because you simply just don't have the space. Um, but yeah, I guess that's kind of something I would take into the novel yeah. a little bit. Um, so... Let's chat about themes <laughs> and their huge broad statement um, and their role within short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, from my very lim- limited experience of writing this format, mm-hmm. I always found that I would come up with a story idea and as I wrote, the forms would, the themes would kind of come to the fore. And, yeah. um, and I wondered what your experience of, the, of that has been. Because um, obviously you have quite there's, there's so much covered in your stories. You know, it's the roles of men and women in modern society, dating, mm-hmm. relationships, the choices we make, like the world, a world on the verge of imploding. You know, so many, so many kind of um, really pressing themes. Um, and I yeah, I wondered what your experience was of how they emerged within your work. It's interesting because I I wasn't really because I wrote them gradually, like not like writing novels. I wasn't thinking about themes at all, and then. When I was putting that together the collection, when I was ordering the stories and things like that, I was I was thinking, you know, I wanted them to cohere. Like I like collections that have that kind of cohesion. I didn't expect them to 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 have as many similar themes as they do. But uh, yeah, I guess these are my themes. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just like alienation. Um, certainly, like I think I think about cities a lot and how they, um, you know, impact on you and the loneliness of them mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, and then just kind of pressure to conform, I guess, you know, like I was thinking about that a lot as, well, as I am, like I'm, I'm in my late 20s now, but when I, I was writing it, I was early to mid and, you know, I came out of college and there was very little opportunities and things and you never feel that you're going to reach the the goals that you've put in place to become an adult. So I guess the kind of fear of that as well, you know, that instability, like having a proper job or having a house and that kind of thing. I hear you. Uh, yeah. So instability is another theme, <laughs> I guess. And do, do, um, what, was, it, was there anything specific about these themes that drew you in or it was just kind of what mm-hmm. you were, your experience of the world at the time you were writing? Yeah, yeah, it was definitely my experience of the world. Like, it all it all impacts. No matter kind of how much you try and like shut yourself away, like it, the real world like actually kind of filters in. Um, but... Yeah, I didn't set out to kind of do anything. One thing I, I suppose I was I was doing in something like track was that, you know, it's a story about a comedian's girlfriend and 
I think you see that kind of person all the time. You see them on TV and like she's the girlfriend of a famous person. You never know anything about them and you just make all kinds of presumptions. And I wanted to write something about her that like, I guess it's something that fiction allows that you can give someone like that life and you know, treat them with empathy and things. So yeah, that was something that I had in mind for that particular story. Giving voices to women that whose voices aren't often given. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly, yeah. It's interesting as well. I mean, obviously, all your women, all your characters are women, which isn't interesting. Yeah. You're a woman, you know, like that's that's completely <laughs> cool. But I liked how, um, like, it was interesting how, how the men were presented in your stories. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, yeah, I hope I haven't been too hard on them. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely not. It's just, it's just an interesting, it's just an interesting insight. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I guess, um, yeah, I, I, I felt that, like, that track, um, the comedian and track people are kind of like, oh, he's so awful and things, and I do think he is awful to her, but then I kind of was commenting on this idea of the, like, and it's also another theme, I suppose, is the book, that he's this entertainer, and people expect so much from him, which is, like, you know, this pressure on celebrity, and, like, how it can never, you can never um, almost be happy or something, because you're just kind of always striving towards the next thing and so I kind of hoped I had a little bit of empathy for him too but uh I felt that I felt empathy (laughs) for him yeah yeah, and the other characters I certainly uh certainly some of them I'm not male characters I'm not taking too seriously (laughs) but um yeah the um um the, certainly the, the the professor in abortion love story none of these people are based on real people but um i don't know i, I guess I, I i'm not fully sure how i how i think about the male characters and they're, they're definitely on the periphery um i'm not focusing on them yeah of course yeah um which which is refreshing yeah. <laughs> um, how about your female characters because there's kind yeah. of there's obviously um sort of you know, similarities between some of them in terms of their outlook on the world or their kind of, and um, their, how they view things and how they see the world and their kind of outlooks and stuff. And I wondered if that was, um, yeah, how, how you worked on the females in your book. I'm interested to know about how much kind of character development goes into um, your characters in short stories. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How much, kind of, yeah. Um, I think quite a bit, actually, just as you were saying that we were talking about last I redraft a lot, like I rewrite a lot. So I feel that, like, particularly like with the the longest story in the book, I feel like I rewrote it, God, too many times. And I feel like I know my characters quite well simply through that that process. Um, but it's harder to like, I guess it's harder in a short story because you're with them for a lot less time. But I think the other thing that a short story writing teaches you is that you can give like I think certain like the masters of a former very good at this, like someone like Grace Paley or Mary Gates, but we can just get like one sentence and it tells you everything, you know, like the, everything about that character that you need to know or their, their past or whatever. So I, I, it's it's hard to do character development in a story, but it can be done, I think. Or you can hint at like a past and a, a present and a future um, in a different way than a novel. There's so much... Um... You're the master, you know, you, you've completely mastered the sentence, you know, yeah. there's, 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 yeah. there's, like, that's one thing that I really noticed about so much of your writing was so much is said in 
so little <laughs> so little yeah, space yeah. and and so is that that's where, what you mean by um the redrafting you know just really nailing yeah. it down to the concept of what you're trying to yeah get yeah I feel that like um oh, I could never write a story very very quickly I have to go back and like look at the the opening in particular and so the story requires a lot of um like the longest story in this book did requires like a lot of architecture then you kind of have to go back and, and start it again. But I, I enjoy the process of uh, redrafting because I feel you learn something new every time. I think you, you should go in there with, with the first draft and just be willing to like put whatever down just to get it done. But then there's no reason you can't tinker with it. But you can't tinker with it forever. <laughs> you yeah. have to some stage. <laughs> it, feels, it feels to me, um, well, I mean, correct, I'm, probably, I'm probably wildly off the mark, but um, the writing just feels so natural. It doesn't. Yeah. It feels so. It's so distinctive and so unique and incredibly accomplished. Um, yeah. But there's something that feels so incredibly natural about your turn of phrase and the sort of insight, the razor sharp insight, and your yeah. ability to sort of break the reader's heart <laughs> in oh. one line. Um, oh, God, so many of the lines made me laugh, but then, <laughs> but mostly at the fact that they were so utterly mm. devastating in a lot of senses. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know this is a really tricky question, um, but how do you? Because because how do you ever isolate the process of finding your voice? Mm-hmm. But, um, could you maybe talk a little bit more about the work that you've done in that respect? It's a very interesting question. I think that when I was starting out, and I think lots of um, writers who are just starting are guilty of this, but, um, which is that you think you have to sit down and be a very like serious writer. And that involves, like, you know, writing about, like, very serious things. And, like, I, I certainly was guilty of this. Like, I, I, I wrote stories that had nothing to do with my, like, life or no reflection and anything. And it didn't sound like me at all. Like, And then I was kind of got a bit more confident and loosened up. And I was like, you can be funny or you can be irreverent or you can try something different. And I think that's just, like, it's just a process of kind of, experimentation and letting yourself you know be free and not thinking that there's a certain way to do things just to sort of discard that and yeah just experiment I think yeah how many stories did you write before you decided to um, submit hump oh I wrote I did a master's in creative writing and I never submitted any of those stories um, because they were not very good. <laughs> and I went back to read them recently and I was like, I'm sure they're salvageable, but they're not. Um, so I think I all those stories and then I took a kind of break. I was working and seeing bits and pieces and then I kind of wrote home and I was like, this is a bit um, different. It was different than the work I was doing before. I think I had found my, my voice. And I don't know, maybe it was the kind of, Things like, you know, just a few years, like working and being in the kind of real world. And it was, it had been useful to me. Um, so I sent, I wrote that and I, I, I sent it to a friend of mine, Tom Morris, who used to edit The Stinging Fly. And he was, yeah, he was happy to publish it. Amazing. That, that must have felt incredible after all of those years of writing short stories that hadn't been published. It was brilliant. It was so um, it was so encouraging, and I think that's like a, such an important thing that literary magazines do. That you know, if you get a story published um, once a year, or it's two stories published, or whatever, it's just a way to keep going. Like you, you know, a little bit of confidence, and it's great. I couldn't 
Um, I've been very lucky. I've been published in lots of good journals, and I, I really am I'm grateful for that. And it sounds like it's, it really opens some doors for you as well. Yeah. yeah, it does. It does. And it also gives you a kind of community that people you can exchange work with and, you know, you can talk to about these kind of things. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant, you know, like they do, they do such great work. Some places yeah. like the same fine or the white review and they're brilliant. And what do you, what advice do you have for people, um, kind of to sh- like what advice do you have for people who are wondering whether to submit their work, you know? In run-up to submission, do you have any advice? I think my advice would be to, re- like, re- reread it. Like, maybe finish it. <laughs> Always finish the work. And then put it away for a little while. And then probably re- reread it. And then I would, I would also say don't be hesitant about submitting places. You know, if you get a rejection, it's only a rejection. Um, you can keep going. There's lots of rejection involved in being a writer forever. So um, I think that, yeah, like not to be apprehensive, you know, about as submitting. Um, just, yeah, be confident, I think. You made quite an interesting statement about um, having, after finishing your creative writing MA, you went out in the world and you, yeah. um, you got some life experience, which then kind of helped you develop your, your voice and your style mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Why do you think that's so important? Like, I, I think if you could talk a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. I guess um, I was just, you know, I was living in Dublin and I was youngish and I was just finding lots of things like quite difficult, like things that I had like not ex- fully expected to, like at work and relationships. And I, I think it was just like a difficult period and like, you know, things that are, there's that line that's like, a, it's, it's like, diff- like a, it's a, bad for life what's bad for life is like good for writing <laughs> and I think that's kind of that's kind of true but I a lot of that frustration I just kind of poured into the work and anger and things anger is quite good <laughs> for writing um so yeah like I guess I was just kind of seeing you know a lot of um disappointments and you know it was when a lot of people were emigrating in Ireland and um yeah I think that that just that not being in an academic environment w- was useful useful for me, you know. And also it teaches you that, that writing isn't necessarily an academic process, you know. It's something that you can do, you know, for pleasure and outside. And I, I think that suited me much more than the idea of it having it discussed, like, straight away, you know. Mm. And did you, were you writing kind of around your full-time job at that point? Yes, yes, yeah. right in the evenings, yeah. yeah. Um, and that was, um, that was fine. It was, you know, it, it, it's hard and you're tired and things, but you can make it work, I feel, sometimes, not always. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you just need to watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. And then, you know, I didn't think I had Netflix at the time, but I do now, so my productivity is way, way down. <laughs> I keep on telling myself I need to come to, to like, log off it and just I don't need it in my life but sometimes you just need that switch off completely <laughs> I know yeah, yeah. Twitter is the one that I'm like I'm always scrolling I wonder what it's doing to my brain <laughs> good um, so as I mentioned earlier one thing um, the one thing that I particularly loved about Show Me A Good Time is the the humour the, like the mm. humour involved in it and, and the and specifically the humour surrounding sadness you know this is all mm. like and I wondered if you could talk a little about the role of humour within the collection and how yeah. central, central humour is to your writing on the whole. 
I love, like, I think it kind of just stems from, I love, like, humorous writers. Like, I love, always grew up um, just loving funny books. Mm-hmm. And then I, I realized that other people didn't love funny books as much as me. But um, I loved, like, um, Flann O'Brien, who's an Irish writer, and, like, Laurie Moore, who's very good at that, like, humor and uh, sadness um, thing. And I just, like, I, I was, um, like, Sam Lipside, a lot of the American kind of Miranda July um that kind of like that kind of humor and I, fe- I felt that like when I was writing my early stories I was really restricting myself in that kind of way because um I wasn't I wasn't thinking about allowing myself to be funny or anything like that um yeah and then once I gave myself the space to to do that I, I found writing a little easier you know once I knew that you could be funny and do that kind of thing um but I guess in life I just um I probably have a pretty dark sense of humor myself um my entire family does so um I guess that's where it comes it comes from um but yeah uh I also really love funny people (laughs) (laughs) me too too. it's it's interesting to see the the humor kind of it's so it's such truthful humor which is um, yeah and there's, you know, there's obviously um, been kind of with things like Nanette and stuff like that, kind of a bit of a yeah. backlash towards the sort of self-deprecating humour. Mm-hmm. And um, you completely, I mean, I didn't, there's no self-deprecating humour, I don't really think, <laughs> in yours. And I just, it's, it's, it's interesting to see, it's just, it's, it's kind of humour that comments on or adds to the story. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's, a, it's a useful, it's not just like an added bonus, it's like a useful tool within the writing. I know what you mean. Yes, yeah, yeah, and it also, um, I think, like, uh, who was I? Who was I reading that was saying this? But uh, I think it's a very true. Actually, I think it was Phoebe Waller Bridge. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's great, and I, I that show is fantastic at that actually. Um, yeah. But uh, she was saying something like, and I think it's a really true thing. If you can get the audience or the reader to laugh, you have them on side in a kind of different way. Mm-hmm. And I think like, once you do that early you can kind of do anything, you know, you can take them to quite like a dark place, which he does mm-hmm. in uh, Fleabag, and you, you've won their affection. So it's a kind of like, it's not a device, but it's a tool that you can, that you can use um, to just kind of do darker things, you know? Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's, yeah. She writes quite a lot about um, kind of female anger as well. Yeah, she does. Um I was, I was actually just watching the, the new series and the first episode of the new series is so brilliant. It's like that dinner party scene is fantastic. But I think that's something that she does, um, yeah, brilliantly. Like in the first series that like you're laughing, you're laughing until like you're kind of not. And it's a way of like showing that the character is like a little off kilter. There's something a little, a little wrong. And yeah, yeah, I think humor can definitely, definitely do that. Like... Um, and the, one of the stories, yeah, the first story, I showed them a good time. She, the girl works in a garage and she's experienced some kind of trauma, but she, you're not sure what the trauma is. But you're only getting it through everyone's interactions mm. with her. You know, she, like, she thinks everything is fine, but they're like, no, you're not okay. And there's a kind of, um, kind of strange humor in that, I guess, <laughs> depending on your, your point of view. <laughs> well, I suppose it's, it's, a good, it's a good way to show the different... Um, facets of someone's character like you know often often women are represented in a a way of being quite one-dimensional or Mm -hmm. needing to kind of um 
worry about what people's opinions are. And yeah. that was one thing that really struck me about a lot of your characters was mm-hmm. that they didn't seem to have the preoccupation that most women seem to have about um, <laughs> about how people think about them. Yeah, it's a terrible thing, isn't it? Like, wondering how people think about you. Um, I think it's only gotten worse with, like, social media and things. But, um, yeah, I try not to think about that. <laughs> so I guess maybe it's reflected in my characters. But it's a great kind of, you know, freedom thing. And I also think that, like, there's a strange kind of um, strength in humour. Like, if you think of, um, I'm just thinking of the catastrophe, Sharon Horgan's kind of character. And, um, I don't know, maybe it's a, it's a false thing, but, like, when someone is, like, quite quite funny or, like, about their circumstances, um, I don't know, they, they, they um, their circumstances lose, like, a bit of power. Like, there's, like, that Nora Ephron, Ephron I think it's Nora Ephron, but she's, like, if... Um, like I sip in a banana. No, if I sip in a banana peel and you see me, that's your joke. But if I sip in a banana peel and I tell you that that's my joke, you know. So I don't know. I guess it's uh, something I, I think about a lot. Yeah, taking the power back via making yeah. a joke. Yeah. yeah, 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 and interpreting it in your own way to find the the side of it that is you can laugh about. I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, I'd like to know more about. Um, whether you're whether you plan out your short stories or whether um, you just sit down and write them or whether you know is are you a pl- are you a planner? I'm not a planner, no, uh, like at all in life either. <laughs> but I am. I don't plan. Um, maybe it's a longer story that the abortion love story. I had to kind of um, um, just because it was so kind of um layered and things like that I had to be aware of what I was doing mm. um but for the others less so like less maybe I'd have an idea I'd like to have this image or I'd like to have maybe this like conversation this bit of dialogue but I wouldn't have um I wouldn't plot no yeah. and how do you have are you are you doing the same thing with the novel are you just yeah. you're just kind of seeing how it goes I'll just see how it goes. I wonder how that will work for me. <laughs> this isn't good. <laughs> Seeing how it goes is not good. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I think with the I think with the first draft of a story, that's a fun thing to do. Like just start out writing it and not have any idea where it goes. And then maybe on the second draft or something, you you kind of get a bit more clear about things. Mm. And you said that you sort of um, the idea for your short stories comes from wanting to represent a conversation or a, a, a particular sort of visual or something like that. Is that kind of how, where your short stories begin life? Yeah, I think so. Also, like they're, they're personal to me in a kind of um, a different way. Like, um, like I said, the the garage story here. My, my sister worked in a petrol station when I was growing up, and I was young and impressionable, mm-hmm. and I thought that was really cool. Um, <laughs> I wanted to, I, I love the, like, I, I guess it's a kind of lonely rural image, but I, I really love the image of the garage, and I knew I wanted to write something around around that, that particular idea, and then I, just say with the um, uh, abortion love story, I love plays, I, I, I study theatre, so I guess I wanted to write a play um, but do it a little bit differently. But I knew I knew I wanted to do something like that. So I do start off with a kind of base of like I want to try and do something different here. But um, I haven't. I know I'm not a, like I, I I don't have a set concrete idea. You know. Mm. 
How have you how have you found because um, obviously like abortion a love story is quite mm. the title. <laughs> yeah. And I was reading through kind of some reviews and stuff and I want how have you found how have you found the um the reaction to the the stories that you're telling? I mean everything I've read has been overwhelmingly positive and rightly yeah. so, but how have, yeah, how have you found the um the sort of interaction and conversations you've had now your writing is out in the in the open like this? Um, yeah, really, like, actually, like, very positive, and, um, I've been really, um, overwhelmed by the positivity of things, and um, I guess when you go with a title like that, mm-hmm. A Boy's Love Story, you're going to expect some kind of, <laughs> expect some kind of reaction, um, no one's really said anything to me about it, though, um, it kind of came from a time of, you know, I wrote that during the abortion referendum in Ireland, or it was like, you know, it's been kind of happening in the background, of my my life as it's been happening, as it was, as it was happening in the background of every woman's life um, in Ireland, and it just kind of like seeped in. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty daring title. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, the, the bit I found the bit um, the the sort of idea of the the guy trying to tell the story, the the guy yeah. trying to tell the woman's story, like quite a obviously, mm-hmm. and that that's what so. Um, refreshing, not refreshing, because there's, there's obviously a lot of writers out there doing this, sort of writing mm. from women's perspectives. But it was, it's that kind of the, this whole collection is, you know, the, it's purely from a woman's perspective. Even though mm-hmm. we do have other male characters and stuff, that's mm-hmm. it's um yeah. Um, yeah. So can you tell us? Um, can you tell us anything about the novel? Little um, bit more information. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I can. Um, it's so it's set in. Um, the factory era, um, the Andy Warhol factory era, and it's two girls, um, two typists that worked in the factory, um, youngish girls, and just kind of their their stories. I'm quite interested in that. I feel that like that's something that I like. Not when I was writing this book, but I I did think about it. Like I'm I'm, I'm kind of interested in not the, the, the famous person, but like the person standing beside the famous person. Mm-hmm. I think you can you can see that in in, in the in the stories. Yeah. Um yeah, so I guess that's where that idea came from. I'm like I'm interested in celebrity a, a little bit, which I think is here, you know, as a concept. It's such a it's such an overwhelming thing that we were confronted with every day. And yeah, I I I'm just kind of interested in how it's, where it's all gonna go and but the idea of it. How are you finding the research part of the of the novel? Very interesting, very very interesting. I've read like a lot on him. It's actually he's one of those like like figures that you you'll have to stop. You know, if you wanted to keep reading about Andy Warhol for the rest of your life, you probably could. You know, um, which is and everyone. I've read a couple of different biographies, and everyone has a different opinion of him. I find that so interesting. Mm. That like even in certain books, like um facts about his life changed and you know like no one really knew anything definite about him and he just like he completely created himself um from almost nothing and it's just very very interesting are you are you representing he, he's a character within the novel is he oh, i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm not sure about that <laughs> i have to think he'll definitely be a They'll be there somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, present. And are the, are, the, are the women that you're writing about, the typists, are they, are they real women? They are real women. Or they, they, they were, but I don't think much is, very much is known about them. Okay. Um, so, and I also, 
you know, I considered trying to find them or contact them, and I'm not sure that would be perp- useful for for fiction reasons. Um, I actually did contact a, or someone put me in contact with a, a biographer of Andes, and she sent me back a great email, and she was like, stop researching, I'm going to give you the advice that Andy had for everything, just make it up. And I was like, that's so, so good. Um, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when yeah. when um when is the novel? I don't want to be like I need more more stuff to read by you. But yeah, yeah when when can we expect? Um, fingers crossed, twenty twenty one. Fingers crossed. <laughs> okay, I believe in you. Uh, yeah. Um. F- uh, finally, um. Yeah. Uh. You know, there's, it, there's it's a really exciting time for. I mean, yeah. it's always been a really exciting time for Irish writers. There's so many good Irish yeah. writers, but there's there's particularly at the moment, it feels like there are so many amazing writers coming out of Ireland and um, in, yeah. and also really great independent publishers like Tramp Press, yeah. publishing exciting voices. It must be, um, and, and yeah, and now you're quite rightly being called a bright new voice in Irish literature. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's kind of great, like wild that so we have so many, um, we have probably, like we have so many good writers for such a small small country but um I don't know what it is like I said I don't know what the, the it rains a lot I think <laughs> it's like one good reason I live in Galway it rains all the time um, you're really hydrated um, yeah, yeah um I guess um there's the, something like the the literary magazines is very very useful and I think it's just a very like supportive community mm. um and we're a romantic people I guess <laughs> So maybe that uh, maybe that helps. But I couldn't tell you. I certainly think there's a huge emergence of like great female voices coming to the fore, and I feel that that maybe is like you know it's been such a um uh, like last like, for the last five years of life, a lot of things have changed for Irish women. There's certainly like more freedom and confidence than possibly there was before. So I think that's brilliant. And also, it's not just like the one female voice. Um, there's lots of different kind of female writers doing lots of different things. And I think that's that's just brilliant. Absolutely, and you're all um, supporting each other, I imagine. Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, must be an exciting time. Must be like a lovely environment to be kind of publishing your first book in. Yeah, it is. I, it's been such a brilliant experience. Like, I, I yeah, I kind of um, doing a couple of festivals and things in Ireland this summer. So be great to, to talk about it even more yeah I'm, I'm really enjoying it wonderful and um, well thank you so much for coming on the Rachel podcast and sharing your insight with us I'm really grateful thank you very much you heard about the riffraff mentoring scheme this is a new service with launch which pairs those currently working on books with published contemporary authors within your specific genre so that you can get expert advice and feedback on your work in progress to read more learn how to get involved and to check out our incredible lineup of author mentors slash coaches head over to the riffraff.com or come say hey on twitter at riffraff underscore ldn